Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. We're here at episode 73. Jackie is also with us. We're, Hi, we are everyone. recording an hour earlier than usual, and I feel like my brain is not, not there yet. Like, You're not I don't in know why. podcast mode, are you? Even though yeah. I think I was the one I'm like, hey, what if we did like an hour earlier? Because <laughs> it would just maybe make the day a little bit a little bit mm-hmm. easier after the podcast. And then it, it just snuck on up on me. What time you have lunch too? You could still be getting out of that fog. That's true. That is true. I have a, what flavor is this? It's a green sugar-free monster. Because, you know, I'm a big fan of monster. I don't know what it is, but it's the weirdest flavor I've ever had in my life. <laughs> It's green, like Halloween flavor or what? Well, they've had it. It's called Ultra Paradise. And it's like lime flavored, but not lime. I don't know. It's like there's like some other, like I don't say like cucumber. I don't know. There's something else in it. It's really, (laughs) really weird. I was going to say. I don't recommend it. (laughs) The day after Halloween, I feel like I always end up eating healthier, whether it's last night, like binge eating a ton of candy and then or either planning for later to have three dozen Reese peanut butter cups. So. Yes, we are we're recording this segment on November 1st, right after Halloween. And so, yeah, I skipped lunch yesterday just so I could eat you know, the top. Creme de la creme selection of candy that my four children uh, brought back, which is why we had four children, so that we could only oh, reason, of course. Yeah. Even though a bag of candy is ten dollars, I mean, <laughs> I was I saw yeah, this we, meme that made me laugh, and it showed someone with an infant holding them and said, "Cheers to all the parents out there hustling their babies for candy." And oh, yeah. I was laughing Agreed. so hard because we have an eleven-month-old, and my husband and I had talked. Like, is it? Are we like breaking etiquette, like going out with her? We didn't though, but it was just funny to think about the people that do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was just doing it as a joke as I was hurting. I was like, come on, hurry faster, faster, more candy. And they like loved it. They're like, tell us where to go. Tell us to go faster. (laughs) I feel like Halloween, it could totally be a sales pitch for the community that's Mm -hmm. forgotten about. Like we have to go towards home building here. So I'm directing us towards home building. Certain communities, right? Like there's one we go to, it's been there for like 15, 20 years, very Mm -hmm. established. There's been say two different cycles of like young kids are there. They graduated. Now there's new people there. Now there's young kids again, like in the neighborhood and like, it's just crazy. There's kids everywhere. It's super safe. Like the whole neighborhood is into it because it's been established that it's, you know, this is what we do on Halloween. Whereas if you don't live in a community or I'd say like a, like more planned community, like my previous home. But there was no sidewalks. It was just houses, you know, on mm-hmm. roads. Mm-hmm. And it, we had no one come to our house. We're like, this is weird. But as, you know, if you have kids, it's like, we, you kind of want that, but you don't really think about it until like, oh, I guess we do go somewhere else for Halloween to be safer feeling because it's at nighttime walking up to strangers' houses. That sort that's of thing. A, that's actually a really good point. I live in a new construction community that actually just wrapped up their last phase. And we have almost a hundred homes in ours. And I feel like it would would be like a prime location. I'm thinking like outside the box here that Andrew, if like your family, like back in your old house, this community would be the best one stop shop, right? You can, you can hit everything, everybody up and usually new (laughs) construction. I don't know if it's just the, the first year or two, but we've got like the first year we were here, we had the full size candy bars. Like we were, Uh we did it up. Like I, (laughs) 
not now. There's too many kids, but... When we moved from Columbus to Pittsburgh, we bought the topsoil home site in um, the Woodlands in Peters Township, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And so we couldn't build our house until after the big pile of dirt had been used for all the other home sites. But we were those people. We we parked across the street from our home site. We went around the neighborhood with our one and a half year old daughter and we're like, hi, (laughs) we're going to be living over there next year. Right. That's a great time too, to also meet all your neighbors. Everybody's exactly. out mm-hmm. and you're just kind of, all the kids are out. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. It's perfect. Very cool. All right. Story time, Jackie. All what right. Do you got for I'm us? jumping right in. So naturally, I, you know, as mentioned before, having an 11 month old, it's, you know, right around the corner with one years old. So like most people diving into family pictures, I started hunting for a family photographer and Naturally, my first place to look was on Facebook. I had a couple friends I'd asked and they'd given me names. So I went over to their business page. And for me, I love that a lot of companies, especially small businesses or anybody locally, they of course have a website, but their Facebook page acts just as well as their their yeah. you know if, actual if website. not better maybe if not yes better. you know they're posting mm-hmm. sneak peeks and different varieties of what they do and of course I'm pulling inspiration from them and um so I messaged a couple of them and it was very interesting I don't know if either of you have gone ahead and messaged any businesses to their like their actual you know direct message their private uh what do you call it like the direct inbox. Yeah. A lot of people are using it as like their default chat tool too. just putting the Facebook messenger button on their site for smaller companies. Yes. And I love that because a lot of times some of these, you know, they don't want to just throw out their phone numbers or so it was really cool to actually see a sum. I would send a message and not hear anything back right away until like either later the next day. Uh, Another one I received a instant automatic, uh, one of those automatic responses, mm-hmm. you know, thank you for your message. I'll be in touch with you shortly. And another one I thought was unique and brave, I guess you could say is they actually put their cell phone number and just said like, you know, if this is for scheduling an appointment, you know, it is after hours, but if it's something, you know, you'd like to get in right away, just shoot me a text and I can work, try to no, work I love with you. that. Yeah. And I I was really cool to kind of see the variety of responses I got. And it kind of made me think about also from like you said, Kevin, the messenger side of things and it same with Instagram, like the direct messages as well. How companies, people, that's their way of reaching out. And I've seen that how many times with somebody on a comment that says something and the company chimes in and says, shoot us a message. Or, you know, a follow, a, we're going to follow up with you on a message and kind of basically take the conversation offline. It's kind of cool to see that Facebook and Instagram, both of those ends, kind of doing more enhancements with that. And with messages, they're adding labels and searches and folders for businesses to be yeah. able to organize it's their- almost like a mini CRM, you know, for, yes. you know, for those of you who don't have one or I uh, don't think you need one. Here's at least some basic ways to 
you know, not, not have a lack of organization be an excuse for not following up with somebody who's asked for more information. I, and I loved that, like just being able and being an organized person myself, this was just made my heart so happy to see that Facebook has these enhancements for people that need to kind of drop messages into their own folders, whether it's, you know, respond right away or follow up with price details. Or another thing too, is they have saved replies as an option for some of the messages where... Yeah, those are... I don't know how I, f- how I feel about those, but I'm curious to see what, where your take is. Well, I was going to say, so some of these are more so templates that you can create for commonly asked questions. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, it would take a lot of work because it, especially if in general, especially in the home building industry, the variety of questions you get. And mm-hmm. if you have a lot of communities and pricing that changes constantly there'd be that fine line of what templates would be created there. Yeah. Well, and Google has those auto response, quick auto responses too, that are built into Gmail. And someone that I follow on Twitter posted, you know, like my new favorite game is trying to figure out if you actually responded to me or just hit the auto suggested button. Ah. Because it's almost, Andrew, have you ever tried to sell something on Facebook marketplace? I've not. I've tried to buy something and it's, I'm like, this is weird. I'm not talking to this person. I feel like. Well, when we were selling, I forget what it was, probably a large oversized item for small children now that our kids are finally getting older. (laughs) Sounds Um, right. But, you know, the first initial inquiry from almost everyone at first, I was like, there must be something wrong with the with the post, because the first question was always, hello, is this item still available? Yes. Uh If it wasn't, it would be gone. And then after the fourth time, I was like, that's just this person hitting a button. (laughs) <laughs> and I need to engage them differently. Because if, if you really think that's what their question is, you're responding in a different way. If, I don't know if I'm making sense, but once I realized that what they were asking is not what they were asking, like yeah. they were expressing interest and I should just continue on that frame instead of saying, yes, it is available. Are you interested or do you have a question about it? Mm. Because that wasn't really what they were asking. It was just what they were being presented as in like an automated question to begin the engagement. Oh, and so, so that's, that's what they picked. Okay. That's kind of my, my concern about if small companies use these common replies is at first it seems convenient. Yeah. But sometimes as salespeople or marketers, we have to understand that we're not, we're not supposed to be worried about what's convenient for us. Mm-hmm. But what is the best potential experience for the customer and so not, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to stand on a soapbox or anything. It's just be careful about, like, I do not use those Gmail auto responses because I don't ever want someone questioning whether I'm actually reading and care enough about that thread to actually respond to it versus just hit the autocomplete answer that's suggested. You're right. And I think it goes back to feeling like you're typing something more personalized to that conversation and mm-hmm. adding like the feeling in it. I know we talk about that a lot with marketing in general, like, yep. you know, generating yep. that feeling as if you're special, you know, you are taking that time to respond directly to a person instead of hitting a drop down and just saying, okay, this fits best. And, um, and an, yep. another one too, just the last enhancement, which this is perfect. I'm only mentioning it because of because of the upcoming holidays and days that you may have model homes closed or may not have an, you know somebody manning a phone or in the office is scheduling ahead of time certain messages for you know somebody that is off of work on Thanksgiving and you know has that time in the evening and whether can you know have a message right back to them. 
or it's just better than nothing, I guess, at the end of the day. No, I, I agree, uh, especially if you're not going to be there. It's one of the things that Mike and Jen, every holiday season is the reminder of, make sure you actually change your voicemail. And then when you get back to work, make sure you rechange it back, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, set, set proper back. expectations. Yeah, I agree. As to what's going to be happening in that time. Sweet. Awesome. Andrew, what do you Great. got? I got a quick little little update. So we've, we've been going through some, it's technically warranty work on the house, but really it's things that they should have done correctly before it closed, but we didn't want to be a pain and delay closing. So we accepted it as it is, and then we're pushing it through warranty because that's kind of what we were hinted at to do, which totally doesn't seem like the intent, but maybe that's normal. Is that kind of normal? Do you think? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that there really is a normal. That's part of the problem. <laughs> that's part of right? the problem. There is. Yeah. So the, the whole process is very, I'm trying not to talk bad about it, but it's not formalized. There is fill out this form, but it, the, our experience has not been that. So we've been waiting on a painter for like two months. Like there was some drywall that had to be fixed. So they retextured it. And then it's been like the whole drywall texture color, you know, white with the, on top of the paint. Mm-hmm. So it's looked kind of funny, but then like all the windows kind of have paint on the window frame mm. where it looks like maybe I did it and I didn't really care what I was doing. Like it looks like it's pretty obvious. It's not just us being really particular and like, oh, look, it's a millimeter on there. It's like, <laughs> well, that's a good half inch to like down a quarter inch, just waviness on the, on the white window frame. And then just really anywhere that like they had to like cut the paint to be mm-hmm. like a nice line. So Wednesday painter shows up sweet. He's like, so what do we got to do? I'm like, you don't know about anything to do. He's like, no, they just told me to come by and had some trim work to clean up. I'm like, okay, that's really bizarre. And so I'm like, here, let me show you the bad spots. But really this is the entire house. Any room that the door is closed, don't worry about those. But the the whole house needs what I'm going to show you. I won't show you everything because that will take forever. But here's the bad window. Here's this one. Here's this bad door trim. But check all the door trim, all that stuff. So I hopped on a call. He got there like 9.30. I hopped on a call at 10.30. By 11.15 or so, I was done with the call. And I see the motion on the front door. He left. I'm like, oh, cool. He's oh, already wow. done. It took him mm-hmm. two hours. Like, But he's a professional painter. Like, He probably ran around with his perfect <laughs> little paintbrush. And, you know, could like, you know, because I'm, I'm thinking, because I've painted before, obviously. I think mm-hmm. we've all painted like, mm-hmm. oh, if you are in a groove with it, like, zoop, you just slide the paintbrush over, like, done. Looks perfect. And I'm like, what did he do? <laughs> like he was here for like two and a half hours to look at the like the big window, like in the where the stairs are. And I'm like, I think it might look worse because he oh, no. looks like he took like a razor and like tried to you know shave off some of the paint, <gasps> but then he like missed spots and he kind of cut into the, the the drywall. Like, oh, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Then I oh, no. looked at all the spots I showed him. And like, I'm like, he didn't do anything. Like what in the world like this? He I was say, that didn't was a do anything. Visit. I know there, I'm like, there's gray paint, like this, like some of the door trim, like there's gray paint on the white door trim. And it's like, okay, that's pretty wow. easy to see. I'm like, oh my gosh, should we call our warranty person? And he's like, well, the painter said he fixed everything that Andrew showed him. I'm like, well, I showed him like the examples, but he didn't even do the you know, examples. Do you think it's weird that it's so Amazon strange. makes... All of their delivery drivers now mm-hmm. take pictures of a package on the front porch. Mm-hmm. And yet, like the painter didn't have to document everything he Not did. at all. I didn't have to sign anything, right. which the, so when the, the framers came out, they were the most professional, like intense people. They were, we had some squeakiness upstairs. So they mm-hmm. like pulled the carpet back, did that. And they had all this, like an iPad I had to sign. So their process with 
the builder is must be like perfect. So they have it down. Well, I think that's the point. I don't know that it's the builder. Yeah. I think their own process is good. And that's that's the challenge when you know all these people working in your house are not employed for the most part by the company. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes it so challenging is that that painter who is maybe a one person crew and he only does this kind of work. And if he's not technologically minded, he's never going to have that same system. Yeah. It's just so interesting. Like sometimes I wonder if you're kind of low on priority compared to people that are within their 30 days or something. Sometimes I wonder that. So here's, I I can give you some insight there as a former division president, market manager, whatever. It's not, it's not always the same company. So it's not necessarily again a priority. Uh, sometimes you're trying to find a different group of contractors who are better able to work within a home that's being lived in. Mm. So the idea is a slightly more professional, m- more well-spoken, has customer service skills. That's very important if you're going to a house that's already lived in. Whereas if you're going to paint a house that no one lives in, you know, wear your tank top, Put your hat on backwards. We have the music. You know, turn the, we'll right. like it the music. Just doesn't matter. Loud. No showers in a few weeks. Like it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Like, now that doesn't always, of course, that's not always the case as as you're experiencing, Andrew. But sometimes it's that. Oftentimes, companies will withhold additional work from a contractor until they get warranty work completed. Mm-hmm. So actually, in in some ways, it's not necessarily higher on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. But there's just so many moving pieces. What I what I'm taking away again from all this is it just reinforces to me. I do. And it's going to sound crazy or like a futuristic statement to a lot of people. I think in the next five to ten years, most home builders will not be only in the sell something once game mm-hmm. because the trend is that you're going to make a lower margin on the initial sale of the house and then make revenue on an ongoing basis through service, support, um, all kinds of different things that I think we've talked about on the podcast before. We yeah, talk about. I, I, I'm like, this does feel familiar. And uh, yeah, which I think like and every so, neighbor... So that, yeah, that's oh, coming. Ahead. Well, that, no, that, that, that's coming. It's going to be a necessity. And yet, for all of the things Andrew's experiencing and expressing, there's this general fear of home builders that they... that I don't want to interact with a customer any second longer than I need to. Yeah. Like, just get them closed, move on to the next one. And it's just, it's similar to this thing that happens in a great marketplace where builders stop selling pre-sale homes and they only want to sell inventory. A lot of builders, again, we've talked about this, they don't, they, they refuse to allow a customer to buy a house today until it's basically done. Like, like hey, I see you building that house. Is it, is it sold yet? No. Can I buy it? No. Come back in two months. Because yeah. they just don't want the headache of interacting with a consumer until the house is basically complete. Yeah. And so when the market turns and you can no longer afford to finance as much inventory as you can right now, your sales team is not going to have the skill set needed to sell that type of product. Same thing I see happening is that the home builders who don't understand this shift that they need to make in terms of wanting to always remain connected to their home buyers forever, they're going to be in for a rude awakening because they're just going to see that initial margin from the first sale continue to drop and they're not they're not going to have the resources because of that margin loss to inv- continue to invest in the company the way that others will who, who figure this out. And I hear I hear arguments let, let me let me tell you the arguments that people tell me and you two tell me if this makes sense. Sounds good. Uh, and I understand like you don't run home building companies so you may not have full context but things like well there's not enough people 
that I can have to go work in a customer's home. Like I was describing mm-hmm. that, that higher end person. How do you feel about that statement? Not enough people to come out. I, I feel like there's always somebody that wants work, right? Yeah, I feel- there's always somebody that's wanting to start somewhere and what better than in construction. Like that's a, I just say, look at, I mean, look at the internet or I was going to say the yellow pages mm-hmm. that shows how old I am. Like there are companies who will come into your house and do it. And I was explaining to the builder 20 group cause they were, they gave me that objection. I'm like, I paid an electrician. I think I told this story an ungodly amount of money. I think it was like 800 bucks to fix an electrical issue that only took him 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I paid the premium because my wife said, fix this tomorrow or else because it's been hanging out for two months and you haven't fixed it yourself. Yeah. So get it fixed. So there's a very professional person that I could get to come out, but I had to pay them a premium. That premium could mm-hmm. have been delivered to the home builder, not to mm-hmm. you know, uh, an electrician who was willing to, to make the time to come out. So yeah, I would think once they, if they're doing like post sale, more service, they would have more jobs. I don't know what the right word would be, but more jobs for the trades to do. And they would, could have more influence or control over that, like the professionalism, I guess, if mm-hmm. they have this positive relationship with the trades. And it's not premium. this like, I'm going to use you and abuse you and you're going to be in this house mm-hmm. if that's the typical yeah. relationship. But if it's a longer term relationship for the trade and the builder, I would think they would treat the whole thing differently versus like, Hey, I'm just a transaction. You don't really care about me. I'm speaking as a trade. You just need this thing painted. And then if I mess up, I'm gone versus Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I'm this person afterwards. If the peaks want to put an accent wall in the office, like we could kind of do that for you and we could do it well and you don't have to worry about it. Oh, cool. I'll pay you guys to do it. I was going to say too, is a lot of the trades that isn't for the most part, there are some sort of retainer as well, like more in-house, like whether they're the go-to or would you say that there's- Yeah, there are those incentives of saying you're our number one crew. We're always going to yeah. keep you busy okay. as long as you have certain customer service scores that you're hitting mm, or okay. positive experience. I just think this is a, it's a slow motion train wreck that you can see where we're still, after all this time, haven't figured out how to appreciate the customers generally for who they are and find a mostly repeatable process where where- and I shouldn't, it's not that bad. It really isn't. Most people are generally happy, yeah. but it, when it goes off the rails, it goes way off the rails, which is maybe to be expected just because of the, so we're, we're not, there, there's no easy answer here. I just think that not being afraid of our customers from a service standpoint and those interactions, I think we've cleaned up a lot as an industry pre-closing. It's the post-close and then especially after your one-year warranty is done, like you're never going to hear from us again because you might ask us to fix something else. Right. That's the kind of stuff that's got to gotta go away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, my Facebook story is timely because I think November 6th here is an, a local election day anyway, uh, where, I, where I live in Ohio. And one of the smaller builders that we partner with has a new community that he would like to develop in an up-and-coming area. And it's, it was approved by the township uh, board. However, they got enough signatures that it has to be um, reaffirmed, basically, with a referendum by vote of the general population. Oh, my. Oh, boy. And so this was my first foray into a truly political ad on social media. And let me just tell you, 
This was fun, fun times. So <laughs> I bet. I mean, everyone's talking now, like, and I'm sure there was a problem before, and we're not going to get into whether it really, you know, what, what the impact was and all that. But today, in today's world, I think about six months or so ago, I explained how I had to scan in my passport and send it to Facebook so they could verify that I am Kevin Oakley, a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. They know where I live. They know more about me than probably anyone except for the federal government at this point. And yet, I had to do additional verifications before I could run an ad that was flagged as having a, a social issue or related to an election. And then I had to go and get the Facebook page itself verified. And I had to put in information about the owner of the company so that the ad would say above the ad, which is already going to have the company name there. It's going to say paid for by this company, a whole separate form that I had to fill out. And then I had to connect the page and that form and my passport and my personal identity all together. And after about a day and a half of waiting for the ads to be reviewed and accepted, it was able to start running. Wow. Now, I mean... It is a lot of work. And that was just so that they could know exactly who I am and who the company was and who is paying for the ad. And now they were just coming out yesterday saying they're, they are going to have this whole other, they already have the ad library. Now they're going to have a political ad library. So the, the transparency here is enormous. Like When I watch a TV ad, which I don't watch, but I hear people yelling at each other in dark overtones and music yeah. on the radio, like so I know it's a political ad. Like red text. Like all I hear is paid for by the political action, blah, 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 subcommittee, whatever, group. Mm-hmm. I, I, like I can't click on that and learn more about it. I can't see who they're targeting, how much they're spending. I, I just... What do you think of that whole, how hard it was, how many hoops there were to jump through. Is that so I think it's, I think it is a good thing. Mm-hmm. What I think, and at the end of the day, we've talked about this before. This is, this is scary um, for me to, for me to talk about, yeah. but I think <laughs> from a political standpoint, everyone is sure that the only reason the last election went the way it did was because of this, because otherwise there's no reason to explain how possibly it could have happened. Mm-hmm. Right. It must be because of Facebook ads. And I'm not certain that that's the case. But but even if it is, they fixed the transparency issue by requiring all those hoops to be jumped mm-hmm. through. And I don't think that's a bad thing either. I, I think they could make it more clear. I mean, I'm in the back end of Facebook uh, six hours of every day or four hours of every day of my life. Mm-hmm. And it still took me a day and a half to get through the process, partly because they make it confusing and partly because there's manual reviews of human beings. So I think if it's an important issue, there should be that that transparency. But um, I just think it it is interesting. And we've got a news story we may have time to get to uh, related to this as well. But I just wow! If you thought running ads for housing were were hard to to do and and understand uh, with the changes they made, just just try to make something uh, encouraging people to vote yes for issue ten. <laughs> You're yep. gonna have a whole another. And then you get to monitor those comments. If it, oh, yes. Exactly. I just, so I just pulled it up. So that's interesting. Um, with it. And I've we have moderated quite a few comments already. Wow. And Fine. yeah, it is a whole different thing. And what's interesting is it's the same person over and over again. Oh, gosh. I don't know the area, but it, it looks like I mean, everyone is partial. We have like the same issues with some places down this way. And it's like 
outside of the people that border it, it's like, why would you not want that developed? Right. Like that golf course has been sitting there for like eight years. No one liked it. It's like this terrible place, all this stuff, like put, and they're putting nice houses on it and it's not super dense or whatever, all this stuff. And it's like, this seems like a In, positive you know I think, for the I think a lot area. of people use their keyboard as almost like a, I think of it as like the town hall meetings or the public forum when people used to get together. I, I don't know if that's even still a thing as much. I'm sure there are still meetings, but I feel like that's where people go to, whether to vent. It's more so to vent, I think, more the negative. They want to complain about something. They do. They don't like change. Well, the, Maybe it's just change. The, yeah, it's, it's just the irrationality of human beings because one of the people who commented so negatively about it you know, they work for a construction company as an engineer. And, and so it's, you know, you can't imagine they're against all construction everywhere. Yeah. No. It's just, and in this case, this, this development is actually saving the golf course. So normally it is uh, replacing yeah. an existing mm-hmm. golf course. That's ours. Yeah. They're, they're literally <laughs> building around the course so that the course can survive. So that, that's the other interesting thing. So it'll be uh, better condition, used more often. More revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No matter what it is, though, yep. there's always someone. There's always that person, whether, I don't know, the name. I don't know if we have a certain name there is, but there's always that one person there, no matter what it is. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. As always, you can call in, leave voicemail at 404-369-2595, and we will play that on air. Thais had a had an issue with the time change, so we, we actually can't pull up a, a call if there was one last week for now. But let's let's run through the news quickly and keep going. So the first is, and we'll have all these uh, links in the show notes, of course, the Online Sales Academy um, is back. It was, last year was the first time that we had this. It's a way to get kind of a jumpstart for new online salespeople or for existing online salespeople to up their game with a day and a half of in-depth one-on-one interaction with Mike and Jen, as well as uh, follow-up training online, uh, final certification and an achievement that's reached, all that. You can see more brand new video up as well. Uh, you can go to our events page at doyouconvert.com and click on the image at the bottom for that or go to online sales.doyouconvert.com slash sales-academy to see that. Other piece uh, that we've got going on here is Professional Builder article that I contributed about three ways to optimize your website for greater revenue and happier customers. Um, the favorite quote there, it seems like, that's gone around the web. Ooh, you've gone was, viral. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, basically, it's it's short to and dangerous. It's short sighted and dangerous to confuse current consumer behavior for current consumer preferences. Ooh. Blockbuster neglected that difference, and look what happened to its business. So just because currently the consumer is behaving one way on mobile, especially, and, and what we talk about there is. It's generally said in our industry among marketers that people shop on mobile and then when they're ready to buy or take that next step, they go on desktop or laptop. And that's because they have to most of the time because our site's experience is so poor. It's not that they would rather put down their phone and go to their laptop. That that kind of example is what we talked about there. But you can go see that in the uh, in the show notes as well or go to probuilder.com. Kind of first real news story here is Facebook's holiday marketing guide. And Jackie, I know you grabbed this one in particular. Yes. It's a really nicely designed, well laid out. It's got a calendar in it, which I thought was the only like humorous part of. <laughs> Here's the days of the week. You might want to write in 
What's your, yeah. you know, so it's, it's definitely oriented more towards small businesses, but anything in here in particular that, that caught your eye, Jackie? I really liked the fact that they broke down certain things like the global holiday trends, certain things to watch mm-hmm. out for this holiday season. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of things that a lot of us, it seems, you know, common sense, whether it's, oh, a lot more people are going to buy Facebook ads for uh, people who are doing their on, their window shopping and exactly how to it, more or less embrace the buying experience for someone. I know some of this has shifted more toward retail, but I more I just think that even for us, I know a lot of us ramp up our efforts, whether it's, you know, home for the holidays and, and different things marketed around that. I like the calendar as well for if you're thinking of any kind of campaign or anything you can it's very interesting the things that they pick out for that, whether it's, you know, Cyber Monday uh-huh. or Super Saturday, different things like that. So I wish I had seen this prior to our summit because one of the big favorites was uh, this worksheet that we had created to basically create Facebook campaigns or Instagram campaigns on a piece of paper and all the different steps going through there and even kind of asking people to sketch in a, a quick example of what the ad might look like. Mm-hmm. And on page 25 and 26 of this, Facebook has literally done the (laughs) same thing in a kind of way just to abstract the complexity of what button do I push to basically say, these are the decisions you're trying to make. And then you could hand off this sheet to your agency partner or or marketing partner that you're using. And they could be like, oh, okay, I know which buttons to push. Uh, Thanks for that that information. I just thought that that, that was Mm -hmm. interesting. But I mean, there's a lot of content in here. and, And again, a lot of it is kind of like, yeah, I know that, mm-hmm. but it always is surprising to me how early people start looking at, at anything. And Pinterest has put out this kind of data to be data before, but you know, one of the things holiday shoppers are going bigger earlier, page four, 43% of shoppers started shopping for the holidays in November or earlier. They're starting to purchase items for Christmas. Um, that that's always Catch to me That's as, a good as point because even going through this, they talk about the back to school demand, how, you know, building up your customer or your audience base, whether it's the people that follow you or your, the, you know, segmentation that you have for who the ads are for, it's talking about the demand generation and how you can plan your campaigns, grow your customer mm-hmm. base for Christmas by taking advantage of back to school sh- season and different things like that. So very interesting. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think something to keep in mind on this is, you know, it, it does tend to be geared towards e-commerce, but I think we need to be aware of the timing on this because e-commerce people are looking to spend a lot of money in Q4. So I, which we normally don't look day-to-day basis as far as performance, because it, it will change. But I think if you just happen to forget like, oh yeah, it's Cyber Monday or it's Black Friday and you're launching like a say pre-sale campaign, where you are looking at the cost per lead because it is going to a landing page and it's very quick to see changes just to be like, mm-hmm. why is this not working? And you're like, oh yeah, that's that's on Friday. Like it's, it might be more expensive, but if your ad performs well, then you won't be as affected by more people trying to spend as much money as they can. But it'd be interesting to see if there is any yeah, volatile, volatility and performance on those key weeks, like really just Black Friday and Cyber mm-hmm. Monday. Love it. Yep. Yep. No, it's a good resource. Go, go check it out. The next one up here is from New York, the New York Times, uh, nytimes.com. Pretty, pretty easy to find. Again, <laughs> link in the show notes. <laughs> but I'm just going to read you guys some pieces of this. And you, some of you may have heard about this story. 
but Target was trying to create a prediction model to know when when they could send like coupons and information around pregnancy related items because according to their research they found out that if you could correctly market to someone in their second trimester they were going to buy a whole bunch more uh, baby related items from you than any other time. Mm-hmm. And so about a year after uh, the marketer's name was Pole, P-O-L-E, created his pregnancy prediction model, a man walked into a Target outside Minneapolis and demanded to see the manager. He was clutching coupons that had been sent to his daughter, and he was angry. According to an employee, he participated in the conversation. My daughter got this in the mail, he said, and she's still in high school, and you're sending her coupons for baby clothes and cribs? Are you trying to encourage her to get pregnant? The manager did not have any idea what the man was talking about, of course, because disconnection between marketing and operations sales, right? Uh, he looked at the mailer. Sure enough, it was dressed the man's daughter. He apologized and then called a few days later to apologize again. On the phone, though, the father was somewhat hesitant. I had a talk with my daughter, he said. It turns out they've, there's been some activities in my house I haven't been completely aware of. She's due in oh August, and I owe you That's an apology. Hilarious. Okay, so this is not, I mean, this is legit. Uh, it's been verified from multiple sources that this actually occurred. And what's interesting, I I intentionally was a little coy with everybody. This is an article from not this year, not last year, 2012. Amazing. 2012. I don't even know. Seven years ago. Exactly how I was marketing in 2012, but it wasn't with predictive modeling like we're talking about. Mm -mm. I was paying 25 cents a click on Google, I think. (laughs) Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I you know what I was gonna say, even seven years ago, to to see how far even Target has come and speaking on the side of someone who's just had a child, it it's cool to read through this and them say it's amazing, you know, at the end of the day, people who end up having children, you know, before having kids, you could go to four different stores. Whereas now I mean, the time, at least, you know, same with you guys with multiple kids. I mean, you go to one place and try to find every, everything you can get. So Target's always been, it's amazing how far they've come. Yeah. And I I think, you know, how did they get that data back in 2012? It was from their shopper loyalty cards and, you know, how those were connected. Hey, do you have a Target account? Potentially credit card data as well that was transitioned. But basically, you know, Target had the ability to collect the data, organize the data in a way that their marketing team could begin to create these predictive models. Mm-hmm. And that was back in 2012. And I still feel like I'm having a, just a ton of conversations still with builders all across the country who have the same challenge of complete lack of data or systems that were built out and designed in the late 90s or mid 2000s mm-hmm. that are unable to adapt or change. And it's a little bit scary. And I've said this before, like the idea of boxes and boxes of paper files sitting somewhere that has all this data in it. That's that's one thing. But in today's world to still have no idea exactly how many leads are coming in or talking to a builder earlier where they can only attribute one source in their CRM, kind of like this last click attribution model online. Well, from the CRM perspective, a lot of people also can only say like this person was a walk-in or an online, but if they came in both, you got to pick one. And so forever, the other half of the data is gone, Um, being connected to a realtor versus not. Um, Sometimes it's an either or. So 
there's a lot of things. In fact, one one person I was talking with was who we've worked with for a while. He's like, it's I kind of feel like you're helping me understand that the whole career in marketing where we've been looking at all these reports has been kind of like a lie that we were all buying into of it's on paper or it's in Excel, so it must be true. But we really need to go back and like question every little step of where did this piece of data come from? Who is collecting it? What decisions are they being asked to make on their own? What would happen if they made those decisions incorrectly? And just really thinking through this process, especially for the larger builders, because it's it's like an avalanche of of how things can lean one way or the other. So I just thought it's fun to to pull an old article in. Legit, you would believe, or a lot of people would believe that that was something from last yep. this past year. I, I was going to say, I, you know, reading through this, one thing that stuck out, and even the fact that Target knew to do this seven years ago, I'm just going to say this little grab. It talks about how each shopper, they assign them a unique code. And so they mm-hmm. called it their guest ID number. And they kept tabs on everything they'd they, their interaction with them, whether the credit card or coupon, the survey, mailing in a refund, calling in customer mm-hmm. service line, or any type of anything. And so essentially, yep. similar to us on the other end, using a CRM system, whether it's always, uh, you know, someone calling in and just marking, more or less using that, taking that to your advantage. Always mm-hmm. put that information there so you know. But it's these systems not talking to each other and everyone being okay oh, with yeah. that. And, um, I heard the Greg Schwartz from Zillow. He's explaining the story of he goes to REI, and even though he's likely a member and all those pieces at the at the very end, they're still saying, "Would you like your receipt emailed or printed?" <laughs> and if he says emailed, they ask him for his email address yeah. every single time he so goes weird. there. You know, it's that right? It, it is. It is weird, and that is another marketing problem like it's it's not your fault but it is your problem marketers you've got to get the rest of the company understanding that this is again another another slow train crash uh, about to happen if if we don't start getting serious so, about this stuff so what i see that's interesting in this is we talked about i think that was last week like first party data third party data and so this is using mm-hmm. you know first party data like that guest id that that Jackie just yep. said if they're mm-hmm. buying um, an oversized bag that could be used as a diaper bag. And they're also buying cocoa butter, possible stretch marks if they're, uh, this is speaking in like pregnancy. And then they're buying zinc and mag- yeah. like there's different things they could predict like, oh, she's probably eight months expected. along, expected the next six weeks or whatever for the baby. So they're figuring mm-hmm. out where she is in her pregnancy based on her shopping habits if she ends up going to Target. Mm-hmm. I think your site, and this 99% sure this perfectly aligns with with the ProBuild article is, the website also needs the ability to let people, you know, tell you how pregnant they are or shop enough on there to get first party data and then have the platform in place to be able mm-hmm. to actually have first party data. Mm-hmm. So you aren't looking at analytics where it's just, what is this report? I don't really know. These, these people are doing, they're looking at this page. That's not enough. That's like, Hey, they're going down the aisle. Cool. Yeah. But we need to know what what lotion they're buying or, or what they're actually mm-hmm. looking at. There's so much opportunity. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like, I agree. Let's do it. Yep. Oh. Exactly. Exactly. Moving on to adweek.com. Twitter will no longer accept political ads. You guys have probably mm-hmm. all seen this or heard this on the mm-hmm. news. This just, I thought it was fun to pull in because of my, my story time piece, but it's pretty funny that Twitter announces they're not going to accept any political advertising 
And then um, they also say, hey, it's it's not more than three to five million dollars a year in okay. terms of our well, revenue. Like um, maybe even less. I think it was like, yeah. But anyway, it was kind of an insight into political advertising is something that there, there's a lot of money around it. That's why when it happens, you, back in the old day anyway, I don't know because I don't watch enough television to know anymore. There's just like nothing but political ads on in that time period. I mean, just imagine running an ad campaign as a marketer where you had as a category, a hundred percent reach with a hundred percent frequency for three weeks. Like that's a lot of money. And Twitter, this platform that does allow you to target pretty exactly, uh, still only has this small amount of money being attributed to it. I think that just tells you something, which we already know a lot of us, but about the effectiveness of ads on Twitter and kind of Twitter as a quasi social network, I still would say it's it's a broadcast mm-hmm. network. Sure. Uh, other people have said it's an ad network. I would say it's a really sucky one. Then if it's an ad network, um, they should yeah figure out. A I feel the same about model. LinkedIn these days too. You'd think it would be perfect, right? You have this property that's a block away from this big giant building, and there's 500 people that work there, and they all would love to live right there because there's X amount of you know money that they're making in this building. And it's like, oh, that is not working at all. What in the world? Facebook still beats them and we don't even like know what It happened. is so weird to me. Every time I've ever done a LinkedIn campaign, I am unable to spend the entire amount of money I've dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you usually would think, well, then I'm being outbid or there. But when you like when you're on LinkedIn yourself, all you see are really crappy advertisements. Mm-hmm. So to me, if I'm if I'm actually building a good audience, creating a relative contextual message for that audience, and then I put it out there, it's like there's something wrong with with how LinkedIn ads work. I agree that the the audience is there, the content is beginning to be there in a way that's better than it has in the past. I think. I mean, it's still there's there's shadiness going on there, and people just kind of hawking anything and everything. But there's still not the same amount of negative discourse or just pure trash being advertised there as, as opposed to other networks. So it seems like this good opportunity, it's just something that's still not, not, not delivering on, on its capability yet. So if Twitter, sure. Twitter no longer accepts this, wouldn't you assume that most would then just up their budgets elsewhere? I, to me, I just... You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's 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 virtue signaling, which again, I I yeah. don't have a problem with that, but it was kind of like we're going to take a stand here from from a right. moral standpoint. Oh, it also really has no impact on us financially. I think a lot of people are predicting that Facebook will follow mm. suit due to this pressure. In that sense, it's a genius strategy. If Twitter is able to successfully get enough public opinion to force Facebook to stop doing it. Facebook's comment was, hey, our advertising revenue is only 1% of all of our revenue. It's a different story for Facebook, though. That's like six, over $600 million in revenue from political advertising. So um, if they could get Facebook to walk away from that, that would be a win for Twitter, Absolutely. too. All right, this last one we won't spend a lot of time on either. But from marketingland.com, the headline is Forrester predictions for CMO role are dire. But there is hope for some current CMOs. And the subheadline is that chief marketing officers who claim ownership and establish control across their organizations will create better customer experiences and drive customer loyalty. And the reason I, I wanted to put this one out there is basically it's saying the idea of being, you know, 
head of brand, head of beautiful things, head of just advertising in that CMO role, completely in trouble. Like you're in big trouble if that's your perspective. And I had the opportunity to attend uh, a, one of Zillow's conferences, uh, Zillow Unlock, this past week and, and heard their CMO talk from the stage. And what she talked about was only about the consumer experience across in the entire organization and the need for all of the organization to be aligned in that direction. I thought it was really interesting that the CMO of this company spent zero time talking about advertisements or calls to action or funnels or any of that. Now, again, we're talking about you have to have a pretty large organization for someone to have a title of chief marketing mm-hmm. officer mm-hmm. most of the time. So, but but I, I love this message and completely endorse it that the faster you can get out of simply being in a marketing or advertising silo and have influence across the company, much, much better things will happen, assuming that you're good at what you do. I agree. And listening right. to the I think customer. we could take for all of us and apply, you know, take out that sentence, um, chief marketing officers and put like marketing marketing leaders who claim ownership and establish control across organizations will create better customer experiences drive, which I think for builder, who else would really focus on that? Like that they wake up thinking about that and go to sleep thinking about those things without another narrative as far as like as a salesperson might think, okay, I could do this, but I'll get more sales versus marketing. It might be of more pure intent of like, this is what I want to actually happen is I want this to be the best experience of, Mm -hmm whoever's going to buy from us like this needs to be amazing. Yeah. And her, her name was Amy Johnson and she, she came from Starbucks before as well as Campbell's soup. I think she said, but at Starbucks, you know, she's part of as a, as the chief marketing officer uh, there, or I don't know that she was a CMO. We should maybe SVP look that up more. She, she did a great job, but she was in charge of payments. Like, she was the one creating the loyalty programs, the payment programs. And until very recently, Starbucks was the number one mobile payment source oh. in the United States. Apple Pay has oh. since overtaken them, I believe. But you know, some people are even saying like Starbucks missed an opportunity is the app was so ubiquitous and used so frequently for mobile payments at Starbucks that they should have rolled it out beyond that. And they could have actually become like the first broadly used mobile payment solution. <laughs> but Again, that's not an advertising. And this goes back to something that at some point I'm going to stop talking about so much, but stop spending so much on advertising and start spending money on creating better experiences and improving your product and systems to be able to support those experiences. You know, we don't need more leads. We don't need more traffic. That is an old game that you got to start getting out of the habit Mm -hmm. of playing. Strong words. Love it. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Well... (laughs) <laughs> let's take a, a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to just answer some questions from the Facebook group that have been sitting out there. Some of them have been answered. I'll be briefly just give us a little more context around them. Uh, no question of the week, but we'll just come back with a, a couple questions from that group once we return. All right. And we're back and we've picked out three questions from the Facebook group. We 
right now, Lola Inside Baseball, we average around 400 to 500 people after a couple of weeks per episode. But there's about 220 of you or so in the Facebook group, which means there's a lot of you who don't get a chance to hear these questions or the answers that other folks give. And so in no particular order here, we just pulled three of the most recent ones out and uh, we'll read the questions and then we'll talk about uh, what we think our, our advice would be or other advice that's already been given. So first question here is help. How do you manage advertising multiple community launches with event dates within one week of each other, locations within five to 15 miles of each other, and within the same price range without oversaturating messaging or confusing consumers? This is something I face on the daily working for a builder with an abundance of similar products, launch dates, and locations. I'm trying to learn how to juggle everything simultaneously, but I feel like our messaging and conversions are suffering because of these issues. So in summary, how do we not over-communicate? Because kind of if you're just following the traditional pre-sale model, there's all these things you should be doing in a sequence. But if you get too many things where that audience is likely overlapped, we don't want to email people three times about three different communities within three days of each other. I agree. Right? Saying that it's coming soon. Any any thoughts that you guys have on that? Oh, I could see how this would be an issue or how that could definitely, especially springtime. Like I know that's always something mm-hmm. where you have like your launches for a lot of new communities or phases. Kevin, do you remember that? I feel like that was a big thing. Even if we had a new community right up the street, then we'd have a new phase. Yes. There's always something to communicate about. Mm -hmm. And not every builder I know has this. Sometimes they're like, what do I talk about? I don't have anything to talk about. I still don't have anything to talk about what I do. But um, if you've got a lot of locations, yes, because we would use the same pre-sale process for new phases of existing communities. And I think the easy... The, the easy answer here is just start bundling I, these I was just going to say, how about like one piece that goes out that kind of mentions mm-hmm. all, maybe all three. Yeah. If you're familiar with the collection ad setup that, that we have talked about, it's this idea of if I've got three communities in the same uh, city or township, I can talk about the entire range and breadth of that offering within that township and say, you know, click here to learn more. And then let them make the decision. I think we have to kind of adjust. Uh, Abby's the one who asked this question. Abby, we just kind of have to adjust and say, we're not going to scream at people about all of these individually. We're going to talk about them as a group and then let them choose which one is the first on their list. Because do we care as marketers? Salespeople definitely care because they want just the most qualified number of people at any point in the process. As marketers, do we care if Andrew decides to visit two of those three community launch events because he's interested in trying to decide yeah. between you probably two want me of to them. show up as many like no fall yeah. in love with the builder. Ultimately, if I want you to purchase, I want you to be the the most informed that you need to be in order to feel comfortable making a purchasing decision. Yep. So uh, yeah, I would agree. I don't. I don't think we. I don't think we. I don't think we lose out this in that scenario. Be, I don't think this would be easy, but. Find I think I I think go back to the problem like find out who is on actually on multiple lists and is it two percent or three percent like what's the actual number of people that are on all these mm-hmm. other ones and then maybe OSC could reach out to those if I don't know how big the lists are so this could be not scalable if there's a million people but like is it twenty people well, that and, you need to have a conversation good, with like hey I, you're in this one and this one are you considering both we'd love to 
But actually, even it, I would say that's be another point of concern for me or an opportunity that I'd see as a marketer is if there's not much overlap between the lists, like there should be. They're within yeah. one mile of each other, launching close, at yeah. about the same time with similar mm-hmm. product. So like it's almost strange, right? If there's not much overlap between those things. So that's where, especially if, when it comes to email communication, there's no reason to just bu- not not to bundle them all together, yeah. have separate little call outs in it or have a brief update on each mm-hmm. of those three communities. Yeah. And, and it's almost this weird scenario where segmenting by community versus area might not make sense. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But for marketers, sometimes we feel like that's cheating. We feel like that's, well, then I'm not, it's too easy if I'm, if that's all I'm doing. But I, I do think that's probably a better yeah. way to go. If, if you think about it in the fact that when you're getting, you're buying a house, it's one of the, it's, if not the biggest investment of your life, I would think that people are going to look at multiple options around that same vicinity. And I know for me, if a one company home builder had three different within the same, you know, distance, I'd probably you know, check them up all three, if you know, two, whatever it is out and having them all bundled, it's kind of nice to have options in a way. And whether it's focusing on something that stands apart, I know Jennifer Walsh like made this comment, just, you know, whether it's, you know, if one is just a master plan with parks or one has 10,000 square foot lots, like something that maybe is a highlight of that community that may steer people a certain direction. Mm-hmm. So Great. I like that idea of yeah. a, a joint piece of creation. Yeah. A joint piece, and to Jennifer Walsh's point, a joint piece that then highlights the differences between them all, but still lets you stay in the know about them all at the same I time and, and kind of self-select what you what you want to Because at the end of the day, don't you in. still want them choosing you? I, I, to me, I think that's yeah. a big thing. The last point here is to be conscious. And Jennifer, you did a great job of, of saying this also. At the end of the day, you're talking about a limited pool of buyers and you're rolling out three communities. So while your total sales volume among the three may be higher than if you just rolled out one, you also have to understand that there will be winners and losers. They're all not going to probably launch with the same level of success. The consumer will always generally find the best value. And so one of them will win, one will kind of in air quotes, lose. And depending on how big that market actually is, you may just be splitting up almost the same amount of sales between three different mm-hmm. neighborhoods. So there's also a different level of expectation setting that needs to happen both with sales leadership and within marketing as to what the outcome is likely to be if you're doing all of that at one time in such a close proximity. And and a lot of times at the end of the day, I can hear marketers screaming at their phones it's it's not my fault though because the product is all the same. Like, what crazy person decided to launch three single family communities with forty foot wide product <laughs> within ten thousand dollars of each other within a month? Right. Yeah. That's just that's just the world we live in. Right. But sometimes we have to manufacture those differences with story and positioning, not just with the product by itself. Love it. Whew, that was fun. That was more fun than I was expecting. Okay, let's go to number two. This one is from Beth Ann who I only know you as Beth, so it's always weird when I read your name, Beth Ann. But that's okay. Uh, Drop your most reliable laptop suggestions. My Dell XPS has been cursed with issues and may have finally given up on its fight to live. I want to bring solid suggestions to the plate. Must be lightweight as I travel a lot. And this is a... I love this one because marketers usually need a more powerful piece of equipment than... I mean, when I was at Heartland, the only 
people in the company who had a computer that was as powerful as mine were the draftsmen because they were using AutoCAD and 3D architect programs and need to be able to visualize stuff. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't always get away with just something kind of vanilla. And this one's interesting from a do you convert standpoint because we all, yeah, all three use of us the same on right now. type of mm-hmm. equipment. Mostly because that's what I recommended, I think, so. I think to everybody. But yeah. we use Razer products. They're they're lightweight. They're like the PC equivalent of a MacBook Pro. In fact, I think from a design aesthetic, they kind of mirror that exactly, with the exception of this weird, I guess, <laughs> I believe it's it's hair. like this this <laughs> this weird snake tattoo looking thing on the cover that sometimes can light up. You can turn that off now. Thankfully, it doesn't have to be lit. But you just you get a nice sticker or something you put on the cover and then it looks like you have a uh, a black MacBook Pro mm-hmm. and and the functionality of it is very good. Now reliability, Jackie's been cursed. Uh, she had a she had a hard drive failure, but it's been yeah. smooth sailing for Andrew and I. In fact, I just bought a, a a new one. I'll be donating my old one to my uh, third child who's uh, needs it for homeschool nice. as well. But uh, I love Razor. I think performance and price is a really good piece. But in terms of reliability. Um, you guys had some other ideas. So Greg Markey uh, said the X1 Carbon from ThinkPad. Uh, someone else said ThinkPad is owned by Lenovo. So someone else recommended the Lenovo Yoga, which is uh, really good specs generally. As long as you're not doing video editing, I think you're, you're good there. Uh, Lisa Surface Pro. And those things have, man, they've come a oh, long yeah. way from when they first rolled out the Surface. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now they're like legit laptops. Uh, again, very good for for most activities that you'd be doing. Kevin, I, I so tend to always ask you for like tech mm-hmm. recommendations, whether it's laptop or phone. I know I posted that wet phone and camera stuff. I mean, usually you know your stuff with that. I'm like reading over your. Well, I ha- I have right. to because that way when I order all this stuff, my wife was like, "Do we need another 3D <laughs> camera, Kevin? Really?" I'm like, "One." One, I will be giving it away probably at some point very soon. I'm I'm becoming famous for just (laughs) giving stuff away, uh, having kind of a Kevin Oakley's garage sale segment (laughs) at our events, just giving stuff away. But also, you know, I I know how hard content is. And I think it's it's just, it's good to be able to have hands-on experience with a tool before we recommend it. So yeah, feel free to ask other tech questions. I, I, I do enjoy it. But what I think is interesting here is no one recommended a Mac. Oh, that is strange. I, I'll admit, I'll raise my hand. I, I'm surprised. Maybe they just assumed because Beth right? said Avidel XPS. Like they just assumed like maybe, I don't know. Uh, I hear you, but most Mac ab- advocates would have no oh, problem yeah. ignoring that assumption and saying you I should be The Mac. important part on this is this is a perfect <laughs> but, time to upgrade your um, monitors. Like just roll it all, like spend the money at the same time mm. if you can. Unless it's like you're topping off mm-hmm. the budget. Um, I, know I have two 27-inch monitors yep. that I hook up to my laptop. I could not imagine having less yep. space than that. And then I have like the the stands where I could align it perfectly with how I want it. Um, yeah. Kevin, you're on like a big, I don't know what you have. Yep. You, had a, you had a bunch when I was up there last. Yeah, I don't know what I have either. I think they're two 32-inch monitors. And then I have a third one that I only slide over if I'm working later at night and I want to watch TV. Then I will pull up um, cable and just put it on a third monitor that I have on a swivel to the side. So if I want to watch hockey or something else in, in the background while I'm working. Well, um, all I know yeah, is I Beth is going to have to keep us posted. I'll mm-hmm. be curious what she ends up with. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Last question. 
Uh, this one is about something else that we love talking about, uh, video. This one's from Brian Hamilton. We're late to the video train, but for those of you who have done it for a while, do you find it worth the time and money? What approach has worked best, polished versus candid and simple? And um, I'm going to jump straight in as you guys are figuring out what, what you might suggest because I loved Sean Van Dyke's answer. He said, I've found that investing $200 in a decent lav mic that I can plug into my phone or Canon DSLR is worth the minor investment. Proper light makes a huge difference too. So I'm just going to pause on the audio. Like you, you cannot overspend, well, you can't overspend, but audio is just critically important to good video. I would say the most common Mm -hmm. question I get asked outside of how can I just fix my builder or neighborhood or sell more homes when I see people is what equipment are you using on the podcast or why does your audio sound so much better than someone else's audio on content that I'm paying attention to? And it's because I do, maybe not surprisingly, I have three different microphones in my office. You you don't need three microphones because now I can just tell you which one's the best one. But I have a a blue microphone. I've got a Countryman headset that I use on my calls, uh, coaching calls. And then I've got a podcast microphone because audio is that critical. It's something you don't really realize until you watch something that has great visuals with poor audio. And you're just like, I can't, I can't hang here. It's like nails on a chalkboard. That echo. I mean, there's so many uh, different things that just could make you cringe. Yep. Any thoughts from you guys in terms of uh, polished versus candid and simple or the combination of the two? I wish more uh, builders did more candid native feeling videos like on Instagram. If you're seeing like anything outside of home building, there's tons of videos Mm -hmm. that aren't professional, but they look good and they're Mm -hmm. on Instagram. Like more of those. um, I think they should do it. Whether they just hang out in stories and then like maybe if they're like, okay, that that one's better than most, then it gets published to the feed or are used in an ad remarketing or something, but just where if, if people are, um, I think it's an easier way to kind of build like a content library without having to like get all, uh, fancy on your site. Like with us, when we were building our home, we were like, there's no pictures. It was the most obnoxious thing. They build what 17,000 homes a year and there's no pictures of this floor plan yeah. anywhere. So we went on Instagram and we could find like through hashtags, find that, um, so that wouldn't be like a solution. That's that's like the workaround that we did because the builder rebuilt with that. that that's just really weird that they didn't have pictures of it. But I think there's just there could be so much more content for when people want to binge mm-hmm. on like, oh, I really want to see all the kitchens that they've mm-hmm. built somehow uh-huh. have that out there. And it doesn't. I don't know. Well, I mean, these look good, but I think it could be there's you could have both people. I think yeah, okay is with both. Funny as we're my wife and I are are going through the process of trying to figure out from a design perspective, what type of house we would like to build. Oh, that you know, it's pretty hard. easy for me to visualize anything that I'm looking at on the screen, but she saw one Matterport tour from a builder in Pittsburgh. And then she was like, Hey, that was so cool. Can you tell me where do I go to just look at like hundreds of those? <laughs> and I was like, like what do you no mean? One. She goes, you know, like be able to search by the type of house and, and, style of the house and then just see content like that all the time. And I was like, there is no like national database. I mean, John Lee, I think is trying to build it, which would be sweet. But right now there is no national Mm -hmm. database to just go shop for floor plans in in that type of depth. Mm -hmm. You're just going to get black and white lines most of the time. I think there's one builder. I I don't know if I could say their name. We could edit later, but they have a page just for their 360. And and what she's talking about is she doesn't want to be locked into one builder. 
You know, she's oh, okay, like, gotcha. if I want to shop she wants any in builder. all of Columbus or all of the Midwest housing styles and yeah, walk through it and like, yeah, like a Zillow really cool. of, of Matterport tours. Oh, that would basically. Especially if you had like your three, the year <laughs> Oculus on it, you could just like, yeah, point and shoot. Yeah. Not there yep. yet. Well, back to Brian's question about, do you find it worth the time and money? Uh, my, my answer back to him was basically th- three quick points. One, that your video quality does not have to match Netflix, but it does have to have a minimum standard. Like you're talking about, Andrew, like run and gun is fine. But if you have uh, a shaky hand, particularly a shaky hand or the, the footage isn't steady enough, like there is this mm-hmm. minimum bar. And especially when it comes to audio, you have to be able to hear over the background noise. You have to want to listen longer than 10 seconds. And then when starting out, number two, try to document what is already happening around you instead of trying to create highly produced pieces. Especially if that's not a muscle memory that you have of, of how to craft story. And kind of, really good storytellers are editing before they shoot or during their shooting process. And that's where a lot of people just get stuck never being able to kind of gain critical traction on the amount of content that they need to be creating because they're so focused on trying to produce a piece versus just documenting what's happening around them. And then just make sure that the video content isn't focused on just one area. Make sure you're covering product, the communities, uh, broader areas and locations, customers and testimonials, the culture of the company, things that build trust in the company, educational material. Uh, We've got a couple builder partners who are just really doing an amazing job in terms of educational material about the build process, kind of almost from beginning to end at like a this old house kind of level that uh, not everyone needs to see it. And you're not going to post all those videos on social and, and try to get thousands of likes. But it's it's really important for those who are concerned about that from a trust building perspective. For sure. I, th- I think the easy one is doing stories for each community because no one ever has content for communities. And I think that feels like, like a gap, like even if it's yeah. just like 10, 15 videos that are, you know, five seconds each, like going through the entrance, kind of like the first couple streets, just people don't mm-hmm. have that. Uh, have I, I'm going to, I'm going to see if this is real. Uh, uh, the other thing as I'm looking up and you can talk a little bit about this, Andrew, we're, we're going to be interviewing Matt Reisinger. He's a YouTuber who has 505,000 subscribers and over 83 million views of his videos. And from a quality standpoint, uh, g- give everyone a little insight as I look for this other video. Yeah, so they're see if we have. That when they're done well, they're professional, but I would not say that they are like like I've seen video people like that we know that are in the industry that that are into video and they make their own videos. Like theirs look amazing, like it's a movie. Matt's the audio is perfect, so that's you know just like we've been talking about. But I'm like Kevin. I think some of these he mm-hmm. could like he could shoot these by himself. Like it's on a tripod. But then I think where like he knows how to make it look better is maybe the the camera is farther yep. away and he's using like a different lens to just make it a better look. Like maybe it's zoomed in or something. I don't know. You could you could tell me if I'm wrong on that. Like maybe he has like a zoom lens so like it compresses the image and things are out of focus. He's he's in focus. The the house is not. I don't know, just looks better, but it's still the camera's over there and he. It's very simple. Like, it's not like this huge time-consuming thing. It looks like, of course, when we interview him, I, I'll definitely ask him, like, hey, how, how do you shoot most of these videos? Like, how did, what did you start with? And get into the, how that developed. <laughs> yeah. But So, the, I can't find the videos. They're, they're gone. But I, this was probably 2009, 2000, probably 2009, 2008. 
there was a time when I took like one of the original GoPros and I mounted it to the hood of my car. I think I started just holding it out the window <laughs> and then I mounted nice. it later. But I literally just drove through each neighborhood, down every street, around the cul-de-sac, just drove. And people would show up in the model home and comment on those videos. It's amazing. Or they would talk about, you know, and it, it's just like there could, you can't get more down and dirty than <laughs> I'm just going to drive through this neighborhood and hold a camera out the car. But there's a certain type of part of the buyer's journey that, that they, people mm-hmm. found that useful. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest problem too is almost anyone in the industry may think, oh, no one wants to see that. And they probably have no idea how many people would just anything, any, you know, a lot of people don't want to have to leave their house to go and some doing something. So if they can just take the tour community tour right from their computer, mm-hmm. they love that. Yep. All right. That'll do it for this week for published articles, blog posts, videos, and more check out dcommerce.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, yeah. and everywhere else we are online. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.